You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. I appreciate you guys braving the weather uh, to be here. And I, I talk to a lot of people, and they'll be like, I can do all things through Christ. I'm like, really? You can't come to church when it rains? Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, so let's, let's start this way if we can. How many of you have ever been in love? Can I ask that? Very good. You know, there was a husbands and wives that not both of them had raised their hands. So... Uh, <laughs> counselors are standing by. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. So, uh, now you know this, right? Love just love makes you do crazy things, right? It, it, I, I remember when my wife and I first started dating. Um, we had been date. We started uh, dating right after Christmas. It was the day after Christmas, and. So when the first week of January or so came around, I got this uh, catalog in the mail and about Valentine's Day. And I was thinking like, oh man, this is going to be our first Valentine's Day. And we'll have been dating for like six weeks or seven weeks by the time Valentine's Day. What am I going to get her? And so I got this catalog that was just showing everything that was available and on sale and all that. And so I took the, the little catalog and I brought it to, to the store. In fact, I'll show you the store. Uh, right here. Yeah, that's old school right there. Who remembers Burdines? If you're Latin, Burdine uh, is how that's pronounced in Spanish. And uh, so, so anyway, I found this gold bracelet that I was going to buy for my wife. But once again, we had only been dating. At the time, we had been dating less than two weeks when I decided I was going to buy it. And it was 250 bucks. And this is 1993. So you factor in the you know, 20, what, almost 30 years, uh, inflation. So anyway, it's probably like a million dollars now <laughs> with inflation. But anyway, it was 250 bucks back then. And, uh, and so, and once again, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't have, um, I didn't have 250 bucks, but I went down and I put some money down on it and put it on something called layaway. And uh, if you remember what layaway is, I know some people, uh, if you're Hispanic, layaway is the only way. Uh, we're going to get anything. So anyway, that's just how that works. And so <laughs> basically, for those of you that don't know what that is, layaway is when you want something you can't afford, you put a deposit on it, and then the store takes it off the floor, and they put it in a special room that uh, stays there until you can pay for it and then take it home. I want you to think about it as a type of jail for your stuff, and you keep paying on it until you can afford to parole it. And basically is what it is. So and I, I, was in, I was starting college, and I was working at this hoagie shop. I was making $4 an hour, so, um, uh, which, you know, I was, I was probably overpaid. Uh, but anyway, so I'm like doing whatever I can to make enough money to, to get this thing and so uh, to get it out of the layaway prison until before February 14th, and which I did. And I gave it to her, and it was just this incredible moment. You know, I was the hero of Valentine's Day. And now you got to understand is that we had been dating, like, like I said, for about six to seven weeks 
when I gave this to her. Now, we've been married. We ended up dating for four and a half years before we got married. We've been dating, or we've been married for 25 years. So this is, all, like I said, almost 30 years. But once again, seven weeks in, we had no idea that this was going to be the case. And so, um, and, and the weird part is, is that if someone, like this is what I did. If someone were to come up to me after church, Pastor Bob, there's this girl I really like, and we've been dating for, you know, a week and a half, and uh, I want to buy her this really expensive gift. My, my, I would say, no. That is totally irresponsible. The relationship isn't there yet, right? That's what most responsible people would say. The problem is the thing about love. Have you noticed that love doesn't care about your budget, right? Love doesn't care about your bu budget. Love isn't reasonable. Love doesn't care, but doesn't do things in measured responses. Love simply wants to express itself. And that's just, that's just how it is. And so whatever it is, if you want to know what you love or who you love, you simply have to follow what you're willing to be unreasonable for. Uh, when I was in high school, my favorite band in high school was Metallica. And I remember with my friends sleeping on the sidewalk outside of this uh, place that was called Sunrise Musical Theater because they were an official Ticketmaster outlet. I know Ticketmaster's having some problems this week. But this was back. You had to go in person. And so it, it, tickets would go on sale at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. So Friday night, you know, if it was a show you wanted to go, you would sleep outside of Ticketmaster so you could be the first in line. And it was me and about 150 of my closest friends all sleeping on the street waiting for tickets to go on sale. Like, that's, uh, that's not good. Like, uh, now I'd be like, what in the world? Like, I don't care what band it is. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And uh, you understand the kind of back problems you're going to wake up with sleeping on the sidewalk? And so anyway, but I remember when my wife, uh, when she was in college, she got pneumonia. And I drove 900 miles in one day to pick her up and bring her home to her parents' house. Totally unreasonable. I remember when Star Wars Episode Seven came out. Um, some friends and I, we went to a Star Wars marathon that started at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we got there at 3 a.m. for episode one, and we watched all the way through uh, to the premiere of episode seven at 7 p.m. And then the, everything let out. It was like 10 p.m. I had been in a movie theater for 20 hours, right? And I would totally do that again. That was a good time. That was a good time. It was not something normal people do, but it was a good time. Now, I tell you all of this, right? Uh, because we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we call this series The Story. The reason why we've been calling it The Story is because I am absolutely convinced if you will learn Jesus' story, it will change yours. And if you haven't been with us, this is actually message number 30 in, in the series. And today, Jesus is going to be sought out by this guy. And it's, it, if you've been reading the Bible for a little bit, it's a fairly famous story. But this is a guy that had everything that we would want, most things that we'd hope for, right? He's rich, he's young, he's in charge. He appears in three different gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he's called the rich young ruler. And if you want to know why he's called the rich young ruler, it's because Matthew records that he's young, Mark records that he's rich, and Luke records that he's a ruler. And so we just combine all the three, and, and here we got rich young ruler. But he comes to Jesus asking probably life's most important question. And in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus answers a deeper question that he wasn't even asking. What's so jarring about this story? I, I, once again, if you get past the surface level uh, understanding and you kind of start probing deeper, when you start, when you realize how none of us would answer the question the way Jesus answers. 
In fact, if we heard someone else answer the question the way Jesus answered, we'd be like, yeah, I don't think that guy, that guy's probably a false teacher. He's not teaching the right thing. But Jesus, seeing what we don't see, saw a deeper issue and called him to be unreasonable to prove his love. And that's when things um, kind of start falling apart. So look what happens. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 19 in verse 16. Here's what we read. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all of these I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had many great possessions. So if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that we're going to talk about, about just the, the unreasonability of, of love. But the first is this, is that Jesus, number one, is testing my love. That's the first one. Jesus, uh, Luke, in his gospel, identifies this young man as a ruler. What does that mean? It means that he was a ruler in the synagogue, which was an incredibly high honor. The synagogue rulers were in charge of synagogue services. They were in charge of who conducted worship. They were in charge of who spoke in the services. And this was a respected member of the community because what people heard, what people experienced in weekly worship services in the synagogue were due to this person's management. Now, he approaches Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops him there because he's saying, you've stumbled onto a truth. Let's, let's work on that a little bit. And he says, why do you call me good? There's only one person who's good. That's God. So the question becomes then, is Jesus saying that he's not good? Or is he saying something else that when it comes to if he's good and God is good, then maybe uh, what's happening is, is that he's this young, young ruler has stumbled onto this truth that he is the same essence of the Father, God in human flesh. Now, we have to understand also, and this is important, that synagogue rulers were usually older men. That's why they were called elders. They, they were usually older men who were respected in the community. The fact that this is a young man who is in this position of influence really shows the leadership gifts that he has and the ability to administer large groups of people. And so... He has everything going for him, just to kind of give you an idea. He's young, he's influential, he's wealthy. All of the markers in that culture of someone who is loved by God. And he shows up to talk to Jesus, expecting Jesus to commend him for all that he's done. He's expecting Jesus to say, you know, you're doing everything right. I wish my disciples were like you. These guys are knuckleheads. And, uh, you know, maybe you can do like a seminar for them, and that would be great. You know, but man, you're blessed. Eternal life is yours. You've earned it. But Jesus throws him a curveball and in one sentence exposes this man's heart, that his possessions actually possessed him. And the fact that he couldn't give anything up simply revealed that. You see, we'd never answer the question, how do I inherit eternal life by saying, hey, sell all your stuff, right? We know that that's not the way eternal life works. You can't buy it. 
That's why in, a, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? The understanding is that salvation is a free gift given to us by God. How do you get inheritance? It's by nature of relationship. And that's how you inherit eternal life, by nature of relationship. God is your father. And so Jesus, knowing his heart and the motivations of, uh, of him, reveals what none of us would be able to, to detect on our own, that his possessions were actually the master in the relationship. And by the way, I think it's important to note that Jesus encounters lots of rich people in his ministry and never asks them to do what he asks this young man to do. And that's really the point, because what Jesus is trying to do is shine a light on what really has his affections. And this is part of the challenge of what happens in our lives in that no, none of us, right? Any time that a test or a trial come into our lives, and no one likes them, and I don't blame anybody, right, me included. Nobody's like, oh, wow, a difficult time. Couldn't wait, right? Nobody's excited about a difficult time. But the reality is they do serve an important purpose. They serve an important purpose because tests in school draw out what we know. Tests in life draw out who we trust. And this is always what happens when we're tested in life. It makes us choose who we're going to trust, and that in turn allows us, is seen in how we respond to the test. So it's probably about 10 years ago that my kids started taking swimming classes, and we started going to this swim school that's up the street, and Mia was about five, Xander three, and Livy was about one at, at, uh, at max. And so, but Mia really started going through the ranks. And the way it worked was is that um, it was like white, yellow, red, um, blue, green, and then I think uh, a black was definitely the top, uh, the top class. And so, and you got these caps. You got a cap and a ribbon whenever you, you pass from one thing to the next. And so uh, Mia moved very, very quickly because she's part fish, apparently. She's like an incredible swimmer. Xander had a little tougher time because he did well once he was in the pool, but he, he was a little scared when he was three of just jumping into the pool. But to graduate from the yellow team, which he was on, to the, the red team, which was next, you have to be able to jump into the pool, then turn over, and then float for 20 seconds. He had no problem turning over. He had no problem floating for 20 seconds. It was just the jumping in to the pool. That was a problem. Well, then Mia got promoted again um, to, to the, the team after, the, after Red. And, and from that moment on, Xander's mission in life was about nothing else except passing the yellow test to get his, the red cap. Every time we were going to pray, he'd be like, Dad, let me take this one. And he would pray for the food, and he would pray for God to help him with the test. When we were going to pray for him at the end of the night, he's like, Dad, I appreciate that. I got it covered. And he would pray for himself uh, at the end of the night and uh, pray for the same thing. So then the day of the class came, and this was around, uh, it's around the time because we would close the pool for two months out of the year because it got too cold. And so the day of his class, now we homeschool our kids because my wife is part Amish. And um, no, I'm just kidding. I've just been saying that joke forever. And, um, but uh, but we, do, we homeschool our kids, and so the day of his class, Xander is, uh, I'm leaving to come to church, to the office, and uh, I tell Xander, I'm like, Xander, get ready, uh, get dressed, get ready for school, and so he puts on his swim trunks and his shirt, because he wants to be ready for swim class, and I'm like, Xander, uh, it's 8 a.m., and your class is at 4.30. He's like, well, then I'm going to be ready early, and I'm like, all right, dude, so I leave for the office, and uh, but Carrie calls me throughout the day just to see. She's like, well, uh, he finished his work with record 
in record time, and now he's been practicing uh, the test and how to pass the test. And, and I'm like, okay, care. How does he? How do you pass a swimming test without water? Because the pool's closed. He's like, I know, but what he did was is that he took all of the cushions off the couch in the living room, and then what he does is that he stands at the top of the couch, and then he just jumps onto, the, and, then, and then he rolls over, and then he waits 20 seconds, and then he stands up, and, and, he, and he does it again. And, and, and she's like, I don't, I don't really know what to do at this point. And I'm like, does he seem happy? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, then just leave him. And... Uh, and I'm like, you know, if, if he misses the pillow, you'll hear him. And uh, so let's just move on. And so anyway, so I, go, I, I get home, and I pick him up, and, uh, and he, he, we get to the, you got to sign in, right? And then you get to the pool. Now, mind you, there's like four or five cl- different classes going on on this pool. And so he cha- he's got all this stuff already on, and he walks in and then makes the announcement. He's like, everyone, I'm going to be passing from yellow team to, green, to, to red team today. Now, mind you, I don't even think there was a test scheduled that day, but he had decided that day there was going to be a test. And then the girl looks at me, I'm like, hey, listen, I just, I just brought him, you know. And uh, so anyway, she's like, okay, Zan, if you wanted to. Anyway, so uh, he announces to everybody, oh, here's a picture. Um, so it's a while ago. You can see it's 2013. But yeah, so then he moved on to red. And you know what's amazing to me is that once he passed that test, it was only just a few weeks, and he moved on to the next team. And uh, shortly after Mia made the black team, which was the top team, um, Xander uh, made it to that, to that team uh, again. And, and here's, here's the point that, that I'm making, and I think this is true. It's certainly true for the rich young ruler, and it's certainly true for us, is that you gotta take that down because nobody's gonna pay any attention to me. All right, so um, some people will interpret tests in life as a sign that God has forgotten them. But you know, it's actually the opposite that's true. It's the, the, a test in life is a sign that God wants to do more in your life. The, this, this young man missed out. He says, why don't you take what you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Jesus is inviting this guy to be the baker's dozen apostle. Like, hey, you want to be, a, you want to be disciple number 13? I got one guy who's going to drop out of here pretty soon. I'm going to need a 12th anyway. So, but spoiler alert. Um, so, and, and, and he misses out on being a disciple for what? I mean, some stuff. This guy could have had a legacy that has endured two millennia. And instead, you know what he serves as? He's just a short story that serves as a cautionary tale. This is why, listen, when God tests you, make sure you pass the test. Because we don't move on until we get it right. But when we move on, and this is the key, when we move on, it's always to better things. So look what happens. Um, this is what happens. And this then triggers a conversation for Jesus to have with the disciples. He says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished. Literally, we could say they were dumbstruck saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you about love being unreasonable is that not only is Jesus testing my love, but Jesus is also changing my perspective. He's changing my perspective. There's a couple of things that are important to note. In this culture, 
In the Jewish first century culture, if you were rich, it meant God loved you. If you were healthy, God loved you. If you were influential, God loved you. Conversely, many believe that if you were poor, sick, or unknown, you were cursed by God. And this guy, the rich young ruler, meets all the criteria of what most would look on and say, this is what the blessing of God looks like. So Jesus is blowing them away by saying that it's just the opposite, that, hey, if you're rich, it's going to be tougher for you uh, to get into the kingdom because you're going to have so many things that are vying for your affection. And that's why they're just totally dumbstruck by this, and their answer is, okay, if that's the case, who can be saved? Uh, They're like, if the rich aren't getting in, nobody's getting in. And Jesus' answer is so important. He says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, I know this passage gets quoted all the time, um, but once again, in the context of which Jesus was saying it, he's saying no one can be saved by human effort that no one is going to be good enough to earn their way to heaven. Instead, salvation is a work of God. Now, there's something, you know, one of the things that we do because we are, you know, we do this at Calvary. We just go book by book through the Bible, and we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Sometimes it's word by word, and we're like really drilling, uh, drilling deep. But I think for us to really understand part of what's happening here, we don't have to go deeper. We've got to zoom out. And maybe get this passage, this story, from like a 35,000-foot level and see the stories that came before it and the ones that came after it to really understand what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples through these interactions. Now, at the beginning of chapter 19, which is what we looked at last time, Jesus had, um, at the end of 18, he had given this whole message on forgiveness in Galilee. And then it says at the beginning of chapter 19 that he leaves Galilee and goes to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. You'll see this map here. Um, okay, I, hope, I hope you guys brought your glasses and your, um, okay, wow, this is small. All right, so this is the Sea of Galilee right here. Jesus has given this whole teaching on forgiveness here in Galilee. He goes, it says, at the beginning of chapter 19, when he runs into the disciple, uh, when he runs into the Pharisees who are like, hey, we have a question to you about marriage and divorce and all that. That's in this area, which is Judea by the, uh, beyond the sea, that is beyond uh, the Jordan River. So, it's on, so Jesus comes, leaves Galilee, he's coming down here, and he, he meets with the um, he meets with the Pharisees. Then he goes further and he runs into this rich young ruler who asks him about what's happening. Now, you got to understand, Jesus is in Galilee. He's heading south because he's ultimately headed to Jerusalem. The reason why he's headed to Jerusalem is because uh, it's only about a week or two before the Passover. So he's on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. So he's making his way down. As he makes his way down, just so you guys know, uh, right around here is... Um, Jerusalem, right about here is Jericho. So he comes from this area beyond the sea. He gets to a city called Jericho, and he meets someone else. Now, you'll see it up on the screen. He meets this guy named Zacchaeus. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Remember, Jesus just left a wealthy guy. And now he's traveling. He meets another wealthy guy. So this is the second interaction he's having with these two people with means. And look at what he says in uh, verse 3. He says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree, uh, or sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now I want you to note this, and this is one of the things that the Bible does all the time. It, put, it creates this juxtaposition of two people to contrast one versus the other. Okay, the first, the first guy that we saw, the rich young ruler, he was loved and respected because of his position in the synagogue. And then right after, he gets to Jericho and we meet a guy named Zacchaeus who was reviled in the community because he's a tax collector. But look what happens next in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, um, now we're starting to really see the difference. Jesus never asks Zacchaeus to do that. But Zacchaeus simply says, I'm giving half my stuff away to the poor. And the other 50% that remains, if I've ripped anybody off as a tax collector, I'm going to use the 50% that's left to make it right. You see, Zacchaeus did what the rich young ruler did. Uh, he did what the rich young ruler couldn't do without being asked. You know why? Because love causes us to do unreasonable things. You know, this week, I, uh, I took my youngest daughter, Olivia, to lunch, and um, we were laughing about, when we got to the restaurant, we were laughing about, hey, remember the last time you and I were here? So it was probably about a year before her and I had gone out to lunch, and, and we went to lunch because she said that we hadn't spent enough time together lately, and I, and I agreed, and we needed to correct that. So we go to this place that she likes because she orders sushi, and I order a salad because I can't have any joy in my life. And um, so they make the salad, but it came with croutons. I didn't want croutons, and they didn't blacken the salmon, so I sent it back. Then they remade the salad. The salad was right, but they just threw the same salmon back on, and uh, because apparently I'm super high maintenance, um, the manager comes over and apologizes, and is like, look, I'm going to make you a new one, but you can take this one home. And Livy is like, yes, we just got free dinner. Uh, and so she's so excited about it. Now, the thing that I had said to her when we were leaving and I just, because sometimes I just say things um, to my kids, and I'm just like, hey, get ready, because this is going to be a lunch you're never going to forget. Now, when I said that, I just thought I was talking about the food. That was going to be good. But anyway, so then she's like, all right, this is going to be a good lunch. So, um, all, so while we're eating, um, this lady walks into the restaurant, and she's got this Mylar balloon, and at the end of the Mylar balloon is a gift card that's attached to the end of the string. But when she says hello to everybody, she lets go of the balloon. Now, the ceilings in this restaurant were really high. I mean, these, these, uh, this ceiling is about 26 feet. And it had to be at least this tall. And so, but every time the balloon was getting close to the top, there were AC vents. The AC vent would start to push it down. Then when it got back to a certain amount, it would start going back up. And so it was just kind of going back up and down based on where the AC was blowing. So we're, we're watching this. And I say to Livy, I'm like, Liv, watch this. So I see where the balloon is coming down near the bar area because that's where we were seated. So I walk up, I climb on the stool, I put one foot on the bar, and I jump. I catch the balloon, and I land on my feet because I have the reflexes of a cheetah. All right? Now, I'm also probably the first person in the history of that restaurant to stand on the bar who hadn't had anything to drink. And... Um, but I jump, I catch the balloon, people are clapping. It was an amazing moment. And, uh, and, and my daughter, is, she's super impressed with her dad. She's like, I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost excited to be related to you. And, uh, and so, 
Now, and so this was like, like, Dad, that was amazing. So we were pumped. And uh, then we're driving home, and we take the back way home, and uh, we see these two cars. And Libby's like, look, that car, they're they're not careful. They're going to hit the other car. The other car hits the other car in this little fender bender. The front of the car just rips off. And then everybody gets out. Nobody was hurt. But, man, and so I just kind of go around. And, man, Libby, she thought we were at a ride at Disney. She's like, this is incredible. She gets home and she says, dad, she tells her mom the story and then she turns and she says, dad, there is no way you have this much excitement when you were with my mom. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, uh, different type of excitement. And, uh, and uh, that might've been a questionable comment. And so, <laughs> dear Pastor Bob, deeply concerned about that. La- anyway, so don't worry, I just delete them. Uh, so anyway, here's my point. You know, love, love will make you jump off the top of the bar to catch a balloon just so that your daughter knows that your dad, that dad is trying. And this is what Jesus is getting at. That love prompts us to action. It forces us to do something because love simply can't stand still. And that's why uh, it, it, it prompts this question from the disciples of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 27. It says, Then Jesus answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And so Jesus answered, uh, said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And many who are first will be last and the last first. If you pause there and give me your attention, last thing is that Jesus is encouraging my engagement. This is a valid question that Peter asks when he says, Lord, um, we've done, you know what you asked the rich young ruler to do? We did that. We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus tells them that there's eternal reward for those who follow him and aren't possessed by their possessions. You know, it really is incredible that if the rich young ruler had listened to Jesus, the reward would have been greater than anything he could have possibly imagined. I mean, we'd be naming our kids after him. We don't even know his name, but we'd be naming our kids after him like Christians have done with the 12 disciples for 2,000 years. He'd have an enduring legacy that would have lasted for generations into eternity, and he gave all of that up to hang on to a bunch of stuff. This is why the Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that truly is life. Now, every time I read that passage, there's always people that are like, yeah, you got to tell the rich people that stuff. Seriously, rich people need to get with it, right? And, and uh, because we say that because we're like, yeah, that's a good passage for rich people. It doesn't, it doesn't apply to me, but it passes. So let me just tell you, I think it's important to know. If you live in a household where your household income is more than $50,000, you're in the top 1-5% of the world's income earners. So you know when people talk about the one percenters and they complain about the one percenters? That's you. 
just FYI. And, um, and, and so, so, because at 50 grand, um, you make 17.7 times more than the global median, median income. Most of the world looks at us and thinks we're rich. Only 9% of the, of the people in the world own a car. And I'm guessing that some of us might be a two-car family. That, you know what that means? It means we're rich. If you've ever stood inside a closet full of clothes and said the words, I have nothing to wear, you are rich. If you've ever stood in line to buy a new iPhone while you've been holding your current iPhone, you are rich. I have a friend. I went out to lunch with a friend. This is so great. We went out to lunch, and, and my friend's saying, he's like, oh, yeah, I bought a new computer. And the other guy was like, oh, wow, did the other one break? And we all laughed because, like, <laughs> nobody buys a new computer because the old one broke. I mean, we might drop it to try to make it break. But uh, we're just, like, nobody does. That's not why you buy a new computer, right? Why? Because we're rich. If you've ever received a box from Amazon in the mail and opened it and be like, oh, wow, I forgot I ordered this. Welcome to the rich club. All right? And so listen, now, there's lots of places. There's even a few churches that will teach you how to get rich, right? This isn't one of them. Uh, this is not a message about how to get rich. Because the thing that the Apostle Paul says in the passage that we just read, he says this, teach them how to be rich. And there's a big difference there. And what does he say? How do, you, how do you teach people how to be rich? He says this, teach them to do good, to be generous, to share, and to lay up treasure for the coming age. And you might be thinking, I think Pastor Bob's going to hit us up. You'd be right. And, uh, but, but just so, you may want to hold on to something for a couple minutes. So, um, so I'm going to invite the ushers to come up. They're going to hand out something. Don't open it until, until I say we'll open it all up together. But let me just share a couple things while they're handing all this out. Um, when we moved into this building seven and a half years ago, I mean, God was so gracious to us and we were able to get in and we said, we have no money for new equipment. Uh, we bought a stage and a soundboard. That was it. And we just said, we're going to use everything that we have because it's all that we could afford. And so every speaker that you see in this room, there's even speakers under the stage. Um, these are all stuff that we used in the high school. There's a couple of things that we used in the movie theater. And so for the most part, we've been repairing stuff, praying over it, and using a healthy amount of duct tape to keep stuff going. But we've just gotten to the place where we need to replace some things in this church. We've got to replace the speakers in the auditorium. We've got to replace the computers in the children's ministry and uh, the printers. You know those labels that we print out for you and your kids so that we match them so that your, ki the, the, your kid goes home with the person who brought them? That's important. Um, and so those things are breaking. So sometimes if you show up in children's ministry and you see us all writing by hand, you're like, oh, isn't that quaint? No, it's because the printer broke. And um, there's also, we got some uh, equipment in the cafe that we need to replace because apparently if we can't make tostadas in this church, there's going to be a mutiny. And uh, so we've been put, and we've been waiting uh, to do this, but, and, and we've been hoping that, you know, hey, we'll just do this without um, making an ask at Christmas, but we're just at a place where what we need to do is just raise some funds so that we can just really do some upgrades in the church. And um, so we're looking to raise about $65,000 to do all of these upgrades in the church. We need to replace the carpet in this church. When we, the guy who put this carpet in, I was here the day it got installed before we moved in. And he said to me, he says, Pastor Bob, listen, this is two year carpet. I'm like, yeah, dude. He's like, no, I know it's two years. You got to replace this in two years. I'm like, yeah, dude, you got it. He says, call me in two years. I'm like, you got it. That was seven and a half years ago. 
And he was right because uh, there's a reason why we keep things dim in here because you don't want to see these, this carpet at full blast. And it's, uh, it's, it's frightening. It's frightening. And so anyway, um, and you know, just to tell you, we've never done this. Um, we, we raised some money for some of the lighting and stuff when we moved in. Um, but once again, in seven and a half years, we've never made an ask like this. Uh, to, we did something about five years ago to buy the property next door, but we've never done anything to do, you know, repairs on the building and do upgrades. And just like every family knows that there's just times you got to make upgrades and changes. Now's the time for us. If you guys were here last Sunday, Pastor George gave a great message. And one of the things, he was given this great message at 1130 if you were here, and then all the speakers turned off. And, uh, and, and, and so then they had to restart because we have a battery backup that's supposed to keep that from happening. Unfortunately, the battery backup fried. And you're like, why didn't you have a backup of the backup? Because that's crazy talk. That's why. And, uh, but anyway, we probably should have had a backup of the backup. And, uh, but anyway, but the backup fried. And so then the whole thing had to restart. And so George is up here yelling for, you know, six, seven minutes until. So, you know, every time someone who's brand new here goes to VIP, which is our area where we give a, a gift for all of our guests. Um, I read every one of those cards that comes in and they talk about what they enjoyed most about the service. And even though people use different language to say it, one of the things that people say most is uh, they'll say, oh, I enjoyed the message, I enjoyed the worship, uh, but they'll talk about the level of excellence that we have in our services. And I'm grateful for that. It, it's a testament to everyone who serves uh, in this church and it's a testament to just one of our core values, which is that it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be amazing. And, but, you know, you need the right equipment to make that, to make that happen because I want you to be able to invite your friends and your family and your classmates and your co-workers with total confidence that whatever Sunday they've said they're coming is going to be the perfect Sunday for them and it's not, it, things aren't going to blow up um, when, when they're here. Uh, because I know this, is that when stuff starts turning off or not working, it now starts becoming a hindrance for people to hear and respond to the gospel. Because we want to be able to present the gospel in ways that are understandable, engaging, and inspiring for them. I told the story a couple of weeks ago, and I've told the story many times, and I do it to honor uh, the, the sacrifice. But uh, when we got that first sound system from a guy who's never been to this church, who I don't know, and he mailed us a sound system because he heard that we were starting a church. And because he knew. He knew that it matters, and the culture that we live in, it matters, that we want to present things in, 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 in a good way. And um, I, I want it to matter to us the way it mattered to him, even though he had never been here. So you can open up your envelope now. So inside the envelope, you're going to find a brochure that tells us about the Christmas offering and everything that we're trying to, uh, that we're going to buy with however much is, is collected. There's also a commitment card there. It's called 320 Christmas Offering. Let me tell you why we call it that, if you're not aware. Ephesians 320 is my life verse, and it's been the thing that from the very first service on our very first bulletin at Calvary on our first service, it had Ephesians 320 that God is able to do um, more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. So that's what th the, the 320 is. And so whenever we do any kind of offering, we, talk, we call it the 320 offering because we really believe that God is going to be able to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And so you have a card, and you can uh, commit what you want to give to it. Um, you know, so that way you can let us know, but you don't have to give it all today. Um, if you want to take it home and pray about it, you're more than welcome to do that. Now, let me explain something that I think is important. Um, 
What we're talking about is, once again, it's a Christmas offering. An offering is not a command in the Bible. Tithing is a command. The free will, an offering is something that you do freely. It's something that you do out of your heart. Now, I would hope that all of us would, would that our heart would be moved to, to, to participate because we all enjoy the services here. We all care about the kids' experience and youth and all of that. But once again, it's an offering, which means it's over and above normal giving because you believe that it's something worthy. In the book of Exodus chapter 35, we see kind of the first offering like this being given. And Moses is talking to the people of Israel who had just left slavery in Egypt. God had totally changed their lives. And they were going to build this tabernacle that was going to be the place for them to meet, to hear from God, to worship, to sacrifice. And they're going to build this. And he wants everybody to be involved. And here's what he says. It says, this is, uh, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering to the Lord, everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering. And that's what we're talking about. This isn't, this isn't a heavy-handed guilt trip. It's none of that. This is, if you want to be involved, we'd love for you to be involved. This wasn't one of those things, you know, like if you watch Christian television, which, by the way, is neither Christian nor television. Um, and, you know, you get to the end, and then the preacher takes off his glasses. He comes up from around the pulpit, and somehow he develops some kind of, like, southern accent. Dear brothers and sisters, we're not going to continue without your support. Like, that's not what Moses did. He just said, hey, look, God, God saved you from slavery in Egypt. And this is what we're doing. And if you want to be part of it, we would love for you to be part of it. You don't have to be. But it's just simply a response to the God that's freed you and loved you and saved you. And look what it says up on the screen in Exodus 35. It says, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the sacred garments. Everybody who was moved, everybody whose heart was willing came. And I love this. I love the report card that happens in chapter 36 of what, what happened. Here's what it says. It says, so Moses gave the command and the message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were, look what it says, more than enough to complete the whole project. And here's what I, I really believe as we enter into the Christmas season is that as God has blessed us and given to us, um, that maybe this is a moment for you to just pray and, and think and say, hey, what do I want to do? Do I want to be involved in this? Do you have to? No. But as someone who's experienced all that God wants to do in your life, that whatever God's done is really just the beginning of all that he's going to do, that maybe this is an opportunity to, for this uh, to give a gift so that it's not just a blessing for us, even though it will be, um, for all of us who experience the services, a blessing for our kids and all them who experience the services in there, but for everyone who's going to walk in after us that, that are going to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond, this becomes a moment for them, just like the guy who mailed us that sound system. All of us are the beneficiaries of everyone who's come before us and the sacrifices of those who have come before us. So, let's pray. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that, um, God, you want to give us opportunities opportunities to show you that we love you, to sometimes even test our love. And God, at the same time, um, God, we want to show you that we love you because we know that love is unreasonable. 
and that we would go to extremes for who we love. And Lord, certainly we love you most. So God, I just pray you'd lead us, you'd direct us, you'd move our hearts in such a way so that we would be willing and that we would experience the blessing that comes from trusting you. And ultimately, that we would be closer to you than we were before. We prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.